welcome to Best Book Forward, the podcast where I talk to authors, publishers and book lovers alike about the books that have shaped their lives. Think of it as like Desert Island Discs, but the bookish version. In this bonus episode, I'm joined again by Helen Paris. In the last episode, we talked a little bit about her fabulous novel, The Invisible Women's Club, as well as discussing the five books that have shaped her life. And if you've missed that episode, you can find a link to it in the show notes. Today, we'll talk a little bit more about The Invisible Women's Club and learn more about Helen's life as a writer and a reader. Helen, thank you so much for joining me again. (laughs) It's so lovely to be back with you, Helen. Absolute joy. So we were just talking about The Invisible Women's Club. I know you've already given a summary, but you are going to do a little reading for us from The Invisible Women's Club today. I wonder if you wanted to give a little introduction before you do your your lovely reading for us. Yes, I'm going to just start at the very beginning of the book where we first meet Janet and learn a little bit about the situation that she is in. Janet Pym's chance at a new life almost went out with the recycling. She was crouching curbside, swiftly sorting the paper from the tin, before her neighbour, Bev, could collar her with yet another of her befriend the elderly overtures, when something in the newspaper caught her eye. Uncrumpling it, she carefully brushed off a leaf of Assam that hadn't made it into the compost caddy. And there it was. Her finger trembled slightly as she traced under the words, Are you retired? A keen gardener. Would you like to share your enthusiasm for horticulture and historic landscapes with others? If so, this could be the position for you. That familiar logo, those dear snub-nosed leaves of the oak seeming almost to reach out to her. Janet read the advert aloud, savouring the words in her mouth, editing them slightly as she did so. Share your enthusiasm and extensive knowledge of horticulture, particularly medicinal herbs and evergreens with others. And of course, those other words, sweet as honeysuckle nectar, which ran along the top of the advert, the National Trust. Oh, what a heady rush those words left in their wake. What horticultural idols they conjured. It was Nancy who had first introduced Janet to the National Trust. Janet, brought up to watch her pennies, had balked at the entry prices, but Nancy waved her protestations away, and before long they would regularly round off a weekend's hiking with coffee and a walnut slice at a National Trust garden. Janet knew the job was for her. She knew deep inside. She felt it as a yearning, pulling from her heart, up the column of her throat to her lips, which opened slightly in anticipation and let out a small moan. From the moment the longing took up residence in the hollow of her breast, Janet sensed herself moving through her quiet, tapered life with a renewed sense of purpose. She felt a tilt to her shoulders that, if not exactly jaunty, was at least somewhat spry, and though it might be excessive to say there was a caper in her stride, it would be perfectly acceptable to describe it as a clip. I am such a child, Helen. Like, do you know Jack and Ori? I could, if you sat here and carried on reading to me, I would be in my, I would go back on my snuggler. 
it's such a beautiful start to a book and it really gives you an idea well a little idea of Janet but there's so much that you discover about Janet as you go on and read more and um, she is a fabulous character so if you haven't yet read uh, The Invisible Woman's Club do do pick it up so Helen for this bonus episode I have some questions for you some about your writing life your reading life and then at the end I'm wondering if we can get you to confess to a little bookish secret for us if you feel like you're in a safe space amongst friends that is (laughs) So your research for your books. So I believe when you did The Lost Property, you actually went and shadowed in the Lost Property office in London, which must have been amazing. I think we've all heard stories of some of the weird and wonderful things that are down there. But what was the strangest thing you saw while you were there? Oh, my goodness. Well, I have to say, I do think it was the two urns, the two urns down there that were labelled miscellaneous. of ashes I know and you did just sort of wonder who was ever going to come and pick them up but you know but the whole the whole basements of lost property are absolutely extraordinary you name it it's down there you know um a jar of bull sperm um that's I mean I think that's made me go blank I really had to fixate on that image but you know everything is down there false teeth false eyes crutches you think who is getting up off the tube and going off without their um you know false leg I mean it just really extraordinary things that think the people get up and leave behind and sometimes it is just as innocuous as a single glove but you know there's always a story behind yeah that's I loved that about um lost property as well uh, who would not do you think it's just they're too embarrassed to come back and say they've lost two urns <laughs> yeah who knows I mean there is a whole story in that isn't there do you know just sort of thinking now where was it where did I see those last you know oh dear you know I was badly <laughs> That's so brilliant. So with um, the Invisible Women's Club, we talked about that a little while ago, but your research for, for because obviously Janet is a, a gardener, she loves the National Trust, but you your research for um, the Invisible Women's Club took you more into an allotment than in a dusty basement, didn't it? It did. I was very much above ground for the Invisible Women's Club and I got myself um, an allotment plot in St Leonard's, this beautiful plot that's very much sort of inspired the landscape for the plot in the Invisible Women's Club and it looks out onto Beachy Head. Um, So it's a really beautiful piece of land and thankfully, unlike the one in the Invisible Women's Club, it's not under threat by the council and greedy property developers and it is absolutely peopled by a really wonderful diverse community of gardeners and that's where I really learned by trial and error, quite a lot of error actually. To, uh, to garden and to plant and to be amongst a community of sort of green activists and plant lovers and gardeners. Yeah, that's amazing. Whenever I walk past, there's a route that I take the dog on sometimes, there's an allotment. And I love, particularly after reading this book, I sort of look in a little bit more now, but I always love sort of looking in and watching people busily working away. As I said before, I am really not very green fingered. My children want to do vegetables in the garden. I'm like, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not at all. You know, like I, I remember my first ever experience of gardening was when you'd at school when you I don't know if they still do it with them now, but you know, when we had to grow cress on a sponge, which seems like a sort of a contradiction in terms in the first place. But anyway, none of mine worked. It was just some awful mess. But I've always loved looking at allotments too, you know, and I I they sort of remind me of, you know, when what sort of in the evening, just before people have 
close their curtains, but their lights are still on. And those little glimpses you get into people's worlds. And that's what allotments are like for me, because they're incense, they're all the same and they're all utterly different, how people decorate them and what they do with their borders and what they choose to plant. You know, these little thumbprints of people's personalities and they can be quite artistic and creative um, and incredibly productive yeah. as well. Not necessarily mine, but <laughs> other people's. <laughs> That's interesting, isn't it? Because I always think like with writers that it would be people watching that would be a lot of their sort of inspiration. But you do um, looking at places as well. I went to an event recently where Lisa Jewell said she walked past a house and the curtains were open. There was a man on a laptop and she was like, ah, <laughs> and that was part of her the uh, basis for her novel. I thought it was really interesting because I always just assumed it'd be more the characters. But the, the place and the location tells you as much about them, doesn't it? It really does. And I think place for me is always important. I've spent a lot of my career making performance and I've made a lot of site specific performance. So when the performance takes place, you know, sort of outside or in different environments. And I really love that. I love the, the giving the audience a different encounter with a different space and how that informs the story that you're telling them. So I've really carried that through into how I write and how I research my books as well. I really need that embodied experience I want to put myself in that place with those people and see what and see what comes up you could place yourself then to do like you should like your next novel like right what bucket list things what have I always wanted to do because I, I need to go and do some research that piece I always wanted to do in Tenerife <laughs> exactly standing on the beach for a couple of weeks <laughs> I must research that <laughs> so as you're saying you do have a theatre background and you've done some amazing things did you always want to be a writer or is it sort of later on that you decided? No, that's a great question. I think what I always wanted to do was tell stories in some shape or form. And so I first started doing it through making performance. So all my performances devised. So they're all stories that I've sort of made, made up, you know, um, and I've loved that. I've loved that exchange and I've loved that live exchange when you have um, contact you know with an audience and I just I love having that sort of same time same space dynamic so I've always wanted to tell stories and a lot of those performances have been quite factual based actually so it was a it was just a real discovery to start start writing fiction and something incredibly liberating about writing fiction but there is still grounding that still the desire to tell stories obviously and still that desire to have contact and communication with a reader so that reader isn't in front of me I'm not having eye contact with that reader but I still yearn for that sense of um, intimacy that sense of conversation that sense of just sort of a shared encounter with a story we're just not in the same place at the same time but absolutely to still have that sort of sense of exchange and sense of intimacy and sense of an encounter I still want that with, with the writing as I as I do when I'm performing on stage. It's really interesting isn't it I was just thinking then Social media has, I mean, I've read all my life. I've never been sort of, uh, I never would have written to an author like pen and paper, but with Instagram and all these things, it's opened up and it's so brilliant being able to have that communication and sort of also other readers, but being able to talk to, I, I always say if I go to an event where an author's talking about their book and I haven't read it, I will be like, I've got to read it now. It just, it's so interesting to hear. And it's wonderful that, you know, we could be brought together as, you know, both sides of the both sides of the you know you're writing it I'm reading it I think that's really great absolutely and that is absolutely the part of the whole writing experience that I love the most that first moment when that story goes out to a reader and then it's theirs you know it's not yours in the same way anymore and it's their their story and their interpretation and how it sort of infiltrates their mind and imagination and thoughts 
And that is so glorious because you don't quite know how it's going to land. And then if you hear back from them, there's something so lovely. And I would always, and you're absolutely right, Instagram and social media has really made that exchange so equitable and so possible. But I think that I think that writers really love it, not to be told their work, not to be sort of complimented necessarily, but to have that exchange with a reader, I think can be so wonderful. I love it when readers get in touch. I love how, what close attention people pay when they read. People really do pay close attention and have really vivid, interesting conversations and observations about what they read. And it's so lovely to be able to be privy to that in, in any form. And I guess, because everyone reads things differently. Somebody will pick up something that somebody else might not, or there'll be a different significance to one, the other. Yeah, no, it is, it's amazing, isn't it? But Helen, when you are writing and you sit down to start your day writing, do you have any rituals that you you have or any superstitions about your writing? Do you have anything that you sort of hold back or? <laughs> oh, that's great. I do like to have quite a tidy space. So it's not at the moment, but normally my desk is incredibly, incredibly tidy. Now my drawers are absolute bloody mess, but my the surface that I'm writing on is really tidy. So that's that's really important to me. I like that sense of order because um, then I can make sort of as much sort of imaginative chaos as I want, but I need the sort of order and structure of that. And then really I just sort of get on with the job, but I do make sure I get up off my ass and go for a walk or go and do some yoga or go for a run because I think that is one of the things that I've really learned in performance, I'm always moving, always active, but as a writer, it is much more sedentary, or certainly my experience of writing is much more sedentary. So that's something that definitely I have to sort of program into a day because you can realize, oh my God, I have been sitting here for 11 hours, you know, just get up and get up and go and, you know, go and do a downward dog or go for a run or, yeah, so that's definitely- Let's get out and see other not, people not as well, I guess, otherwise you are just sat in your own room. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. So now that you have got two books out in the world that people are loving, if you could go back to when you were sitting down to write The Lost Property and give yourself some advice, or somebody who is sitting here listening today who really wants to write a book, what would you tell them that they should or shouldn't do? Oh, well, so if you're sitting there and you're listening and you really want to write a book, then write it. Absolutely write it. Make the space, make the time, make the commitment, make the sacrifice, and you know make yourself the pledge to do it and do it allow yourself that because life is so short if that's what you want to do you must do it you must do it you must do it and then the piece of advice that I would give alongside that is um probably the only way home is through the show which is sort of a bit of performance advice but it is also a piece of writing advice because it's like the only way you're going to get to the end of the story is going through the story making me sound a bit like that gruffalo book but what i mean, what i mean is you know there are times however much we want to write however much this is our absolutely burning passion there are times when you are sitting there and the cursor is flashing and the page is empty and you start doing all these awful things to yourself you know beating yourself up and saying and, and not believing in yourself and forgetting that pledge you made yourself about how much you wanted to write and i think you just have to remember the only way you know, the only way to do it is to go through it. The only way home is through the story. You just have to keep on keeping on and then you will get there. You will get there and then you will have written your story. And then all you have to do is make it better and better and better for yourself, you know. But that's, that's amazing. I think, I mean, I'm always in awe of people who turn out beautiful, beautiful books and they are so important to me as a reader. So, yeah, if you are sitting here listening, you think you've got a story, take Helen's advice and get writing. So when you're not writing, Helen, and you're going to sit down and relax with a good book, 
who are your go-to authors and what sort of books do you enjoy reading? I know we've just talked about your Desert Island books and uh, some of the really special ones to you, but who else do you love? Oh, well, I'm, I've always been a huge fan of Kate Atkinson. I'm a huge fan of Rachel Joyce, as I think I've made abundantly clear. I've always been a real fan of Barbara Kinsolver, and I've just finished uh, Demon Copperhead and just an extraordinary book. You know, I mean, she is how she manages to be such a terrific storyteller and confront huge issues like colonialism or the environment or in, in, in this book, you know, the um, opioid crisis. Absolutely amazing. I, I've also read, uh, I've just, just finished Go as a River by Shelley Reed, another absolute breathtaking, how is it that woman's debut? I do not understand it. You know, about resilience and love, just amazing how she writes about motherhood, how she writes about the natural world, how she writes about those two things together. It's absolutely beautiful. So, you know, so there are some readers that are my sort of go-to readers that I will always read, always read their next book that comes out, um, like King Solver and like Joyce and like Anne Tyler and Gay Atkinson. And then there are, you know, then I'm really open, you know, to, deb- to new voices, to debut voices. Um, and I'm also open to be surprised. I like to try, I mean, there are certain types of books that I like. I, I really do like reading books by women. I want to give women time and space. I want to hear their stories, but I also want to be open. Um, I want to be open. I do love a good, um, do love a good mystery. I love a good Tara French book. You know, I love a good, a good rollicking mystery. I mean, I love a good Agatha Christie, you know. All but good books then, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm reading Demon Copperheads at the moment. It's my first of her books I've read and it's taken me forever to read because she is she is such a good writer that I'm finding it really upsetting and having to take quite a lot of breaks. But what's really interesting to me is how sometimes if I find a book really upsetting, I'll be like, not for me, put it down. And then, but she keeps calling me back to it. So I'm just like, yes, I'm finding it very uncomfortable and upsetting and I'll put it down. But a few days will pass, I'm like... Come on, let's see. Let's see where we are. So it's taken me forever <laughs> to read. But oh, Helen, I think that's such an important point that you make, you know, because I think I would have had that with Margaret Atwood. I would have definitely had that with Toni Morrison, you know, and these women have written these extraordinary, life-changing, world shape-shifting books, you know, um, and absolutely Barbara King Silver. But that doesn't mean it's easy. It's not easy for them to write it. And it's not easy for us to read it, you know. But so what is it that those writers do that do call you back, even though you sort of don't you don't want some of those facts, those images in your head, and it's so intense. But what is it that they do in that incredible skill and craft of storytelling and and thinking of that reader experience? Because I definitely think Barbara Kingsolf is thinking about how much she's too much and when she's going to bring in a little sort of Little, a little light relief for you um, and still keep it in the realm of believability and, and she does mm, it so well in that definitely. book and that's, that's why you're staying with her and that's why you're staying with it. <laughs> It'll probably yeah. take me two years to read at this rate but I will get there. <laughs> I will get there. You will. So we have just talked about your Desert Island books and given that I have only read two of them I'm probably not the right person to be asking this question but are there any books that you feel you should have read that you haven't read yet? Um, yes, you know, you know who I haven't read that I that I feel I should read, and my partner's always saying you've got to read Hilary Mantel, and I think yeah, and you know, and we don't have her in the world anymore, but we do have her extraordinary books. So I think yes, yeah, she's she's somebody that I just think um, yeah. I started Walpole about thirteen times, and then <laughs> and I'm just like I just can't get my head into it. But it's another one of those books. I'm like I will get there. 
exactly i want to give that woman my time i want to give those books my time so yeah that would that would be one that would be one example so just before we finish you're amongst friends as i said earlier do you have any bookish secrets that you would like to confess to us anything bad bookish bad habits or secrets or anything you're working on that you would like to share today I've st- I have confessed a little bit about the bad, have bad habits when we've been talking about my list of five and we've had a look at some of the covers. If you're sensitive, look away now. <laughs> it's like I feel like I am in the confessional, you know, because I'm lifting up and Tyler's breathing lessons and there is a, this is basically a bite mark out of the cover. I don't know. I don't know if I was on some sort of special diet, you know, at the time. I don't know. We can't go in there, but that's how much, obviously, I devour a book. That's a terrible, I mean, my partner's a really good reader, you know, never breaks the spine and I'm in there right away. It's like I'm having a sort of a big tussle with the book, but I mean, it's because I have big, big appetite and that's how I express it, I guess, for books. Sorry, is my confession over. Um, we will still love you anyway. <laughs> we could probably sit here and chat all day and I would love that. But <laughs> it is time for us to, to finish. Um, and I hope that everyone listening has enjoyed this bonus episode as I mentioned before Helen's books Lost Property and The Invisible Women's Club sorry are available now and I would be so grateful if you've enjoyed this episode if you would take the time to rate review subscribe and to tell your bookish friends all about it I'll be back next month talking to another author and I really hope that you'll join me for that one take care and thanks for listening